Ring, ring! I'm sorry. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, I was on Facebook. Um, but... <laughs> talking uh, to your friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a, a young a young man decided to and it's okay um that that me saying that we can't be afraid of bullies like in idaho uh and because living in fear is very dangerous uh disagreed with me and had this about the guns and i'm like but there were no guns there were no guns yes they might have had guns hidden they did not they found no evidence of guns they meant to go in and rabble rouse. It's very clear what they meant to do. They meant to go in and bash people. Um, they were not going to shoot up huge crowds. So that's important. So then he has, uh, you know, more conjecture. You have no idea. Well, neither do you. See, that's called conjecture. And I said, hey, I hate crime laws are the best we've ever had. And here in Georgia, they didn't have any until 2020. But you have them, sir. See, best we've ever had. Um, so I was just addressing him. Uh, no one should end up in a body bag during pride, he said. No. I said, no, and, I there's, sick- and there's no defending people showing up to an event with the sole purpose of antagonizing. Whether they had guns or not, which they did, but whether they had them or not, their whole point was just to go shit on somebody. Like, ha- ha- what kind of karma is that? <laughs> have, we, have we discovered that they had guns? I, I'm, um, I'm reading, it and they they found no evidence of a plan to shoot anyone. They had body armor and some tear gas hmm. and shields. They were going to go in and physically rabble rouse, uh, and, and that's a technique that bullies use to scare people. Um, so, you know, I thought he, that there uh, was stuff in the um, vehicles with the individuals, but then again, that might have been early, like trying to push out information that's not quite clear or even accurate yet so yeah i'm totally willing to say like that's probably something that was early on oh yeah the story in new valdez changed so much and and, you know maybe maybe some of them did have personal weapons i mean that is that is uh, i have not read that and i've been following this case very closely um you know so i answered that i'm significantly older than many of the glbtq plus people i know and love i have lived through aids and all of the horror that brought i fought to get us any and all of the protections we have in the u.s including helping to lobby for the anti-bullying law that passed in texas and which evolved in 2017 to include cyberbullying. i have lived in multiple u.s states and do understand that each state state treats its marginalized citizens differently growing up in the 70s and 80s in detroit definitely impacted my worldview murder was so common here in those decades that it barely made the news i have protested against the police for unfair stakeouts and trapping and outing gay men the adrian seven i was beat up a bit for that one again my first gay pride march was down a three and a half mile course with sniper cops mounted on nearly every building because of the sheer number of credible threats of violence toward the marchers I have a very different opinion than you do, sir. My Generation X had a very unique and challenging lives. I am old enough to remember when Pulse would have been illegal because he's referenced Pulse a few times. I have worked for every single gay right we have. In the 90s, I was part of ACT UP in New York and still believe that silence equals death. In general, I don't disagree with you, but do believe that living in fear is not the way to freedom. You are correct. No one should die at Pride or at school or while grocery shopping or seeing a concert, or, or, or. So that's what took me so long. I wanted to, to state that kindly. 
instead of telling this kid to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you are you are insulated and feel safe because of uh, the blood and the bruises that me and my generation bore for you, little boy. Sit down. But I'm not going to say that. I am I am nice. I am kind. Damn it. I'm a kinder, <laughs> gentler Benson. It makes me think of my friend Tina. Um, she was an office mate of mine before I started the bra company, and um, she was an admin assistant in the publishing firm. And she was Buddhist, and she would get really frustrated with various people she was having to work with, as we all did there. And she would come into my cubicle and she'd go, hey, girl, so-and-so's pissing me off. I'm going to have to go home and chant for their ass. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> like, that's the most Buddhist thing, American that's Buddhist thing I'm I've gonna, ever heard. I'm going to chant for their ass. That's great. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Well, happy Tuesday to you. You know, we've happy been recording Tuesday. this whole time. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, no, that's, I didn't know, but that's okay. Uh, and so um, we can um, just keep going from here, but um, to lure you into our Tuesday call this morning, I sent you a picture of our creator cards. And it's funny that we keep getting this overthinking can spoil the magic card. Uh, uh, uh. And a collaboration of souls popped up um, in the reading um, for this week. And so I find it z that um, spoiling the magic is card zero zero and collaboration of the souls is zero six. Um, if numbers mean things to people. Um, but I find, I find all of that, you know, really, really interesting one in what you were just talking about um, that, um, like pride is like this very, very reflective time, but it's also a very joyous and freeing time. And when somebody like this um, younger person that you were speaking to is thinking about things too much or trying to smooth over the situation too much, maybe because it's just too awful to bear. I mean, like, Oh, it's not that bad or, you know, whatever that, that they're spoiling the magic, you know, and that, that these lessons, these collaboration of souls, these lessons are again, having to be retaught over and over so that we can get to the part where we're not overthinking things and spoiling the magic. You know what I mean? You know, I really enjoy um, young queer people being so bloody entitled. It pisses me off on the one hand because they, they have no idea um, the history, and and I often see them being entitled at straight people. Most of the straight people, their allies. Sorry, they didn't have your your daily switched up gender <laughs> pronoun correct. Please choose one and stick to it. Um, but I revel in how entitled they are because it means that we did our job. Mm. I am terrified for them because they do not understand the history. They do not understand that the very thing that can erase everything that we spent 40 years building is mistreating the allies. We are still a very small amount of people in the U.S. And when the Republicans are done going after your ovaries and your uterus, they're going to come after my marriage and my ability to buttfuck someone. Mm -hmm. So we need to remember who the allies are. And, and also just, you know, this, this thing that I'm watching happen with all of my histrionic gaze, um, 
like like they turned this nearly into Auschwitz. Like like we were all gonna be rounded up and, and I'm like, okay, y'all, y'all, what happened that's, was fucked up. What's that's amazing too far, is, though. is that's that they far. stopped it. They stopped mm-hmm. it. Good. The citizens saw what was happening and called it in, and the cops stopped it, and the gay pride went off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that histrionic building of conjecture they could have had, they might have had. I just had somebody post a, a, on on my wall. Uh, wonder how many of them own AR-15s. I, I'm not a big fan of conjecture. Like, I, I don't know that they did. Uh, I wouldn't doubt that they did. But, you know, this is why I think that all murder weapons should be banned, period, the end. And I do want them collected up. Thank you, Beto. Collect them all goddamn well up and melt them down and build a big statue uh, in apology to the children and to the old folks and to the people watching concerts and grocery shopping and at Walmart and just... Children learning. Children learning. I mean, okay, so, but that histrionic (laughs) reflex is so common in our industry that I may be oversensitive to it. Yeah. You know, people in our industry spinning something up into a much bigger thing than it is. And and I can't stress enough how important it is not to give any drama that you're not actually interested in any energy at all, <laughs> because it just takes on a life of its own and will eat you. Like the 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 it, uh, the more drama you give something, the more attention, the more shouting out into the uh, internets, the more riling your friends, the more you whine about it, cry about it, make videos on TikTok about it, all of that personal bullshit, it begins to impact you in ways that it never had to. Mm-hmm. It begins to impact you in ways that were not necessary. And in fact, very often people create um, actual changes in how things are done based on their over-emotive, histrionic uh, reaction to something that was uh, better handled in a different format. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about like, uh, just, uh, you know, relating it to fashion. It's, it's, uh, well, MS, uh, Matt Sweeney did this. Matt Sweeney did not do that thing. Matt Sweeney did not put you people in a tent to try to kill you. He did not. That was never his intention. I guarantee it. Matt Sweeney may be many things, but Matt Sweeney is not a mass murderer. Uh, the fact that there was no air conditioning station in the tent was unfortunate, um, but that doesn't mean that he tried to kill you. And that was a, a, an actual story that began to have buzz. And I will tell you that because I, I knew all of those people, I've made some very clear statements like, you, you can't say that. That's not what happened. You have every right to complain that it was too hot. And the way that you fix that is next year when they want your money, your 250 bucks a piece for this mashup team thing, don't do it. Or say what portion is going towards big ass bands. <laughs> right, right. Which, which portion is going to go toward the year? The year that, that we won the People's Choice Award, or not the People, we actually won the People's Choice Award, by the way. Uh, I was told by somebody who worked there. Uh, the, the day before the voting was finalized, we were well ahead on the People's Choice Award because we had people from all over the world. Uh, and then we just vanished. We just vanished. But we did get the Critics' Choice Award. Um, so the year we got the Critics' Choice Award, we had to get our models ready and then send them to the mm-hmm. theater. <laughs> like, yeah, there, there was wasn't no even, ready. There wasn't even a space to have us get our models ready there. 
And I remember getting my model ready and putting her in a cab because they wanted her there ridiculously early. And I'm like, uh, but, you know, I, I was never once tempted to turn that into something that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, they were doing the best they could. That was a huge show. I think the year that we won the Critics' Choice Award, uh, there there must have been 40-something entries. It was massive. That's a massive amount of people to try to get ready. And and the solution to, to the, the very untrue story about Mr. Sweeney trying to kill people by not giving them air conditioning in a tent, um, that was the solution. And I don't know that it was a good solution, but it was a solution. So that that didn't need to happen is what I'm saying. So I, I think it's important when we tell our stories, Megan, to not augment and make up extra shit to go along to make it more exciting. Because honestly, a less exciting life where the drama is concerned is good. It gives us all more energy for the exciting stuff that is actually healthy. Well, and the reality is throwing a runway show in texas any time between essentially march to the end of september is a bad idea slash you better be prepared that whatever venue you're going to be at is going to have some type of airflow problem and especially when you're talking about the number of people that entered um the year that you did, which I think you said it was 40 plus. And so you're talking about designer, a dresser, possibly an accessories person, hair, makeup, model, model, photographer, photographer, like everybody, like all of those people times 40. Right. So like that is an enormous backstage presence. And I don't think Austin was really well equipped, didn't have a venue that was well equipped to be able to handle that. And so that's why so many people were asked to get ready offsite or, and then figure out their own transportation, blah, blah, blah. You know, that was the year that I gave Stephen Moser about $30,000 with the fabric and he was doing the finale Mm -hmm. at his 20 minute. (laughs) Wow. It was such amazing. I mean, he made an amazing presentation, but uh, using the funeral dirges and, and causing that to take 20 minutes was not good planning. But um, I am certain that that is why people had to get ready off site because he had like 28 looks or 30 looks and they were all getting ready there with massive headdresses and makeup and uh, they were the finale of the show. So of course they, they, and it was Steven. It was Steven. Steven Mosher had some clout. Steven Mosher probably threatened to pull if they didn't give him the air conditioned back room, which was fine. I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was unfortunate that it went down that way, but it wasn't enough to get my panties in a twist. I didn't strike out at, at, uh, fashion I'm, week Austin over that I've done some really really hot fundraiser shows oh, for God. different venues in the summer in Texas it's just, like you've just got to be prepared and like know your market so if you're going to be showing at those types of times then like don't be you know and maybe because Steven had so many people in um you know like burnout velvets and then actual like um upholstery slash jacket yes, weight yes, velvets yeah. that, that it was hot as shit <laughs> at the end of summer and so i would want to put my models in air conditioning too <laughs> you know i did uh, i i did uh, um 
a benefit show for Achio Apello, our friend, I think his name was Amico. And uh, one of the people that it's sort of a premises uh, invited me and it was on the rooftop, but they guaranteed us that we had uh, air conditioned dressing rooms. So mm-hmm. the models would only have to be out in the elements in mid July on a rooftop. And that seemed like, okay, it's, if it's on a rooftop, it can't be that hot. It's, the sun's gone down. It's always 20 <laughs> degrees. Oh my God, there was no air conditioning. <laughs> there was that, like they tried to give us uh, four square feet. I'm like, this is just a nightmare. So I, I told them, and this is how I handled it. I said, look, <laughs> anytime between December and mid-April, let me know. I'm there. But never again. Never again right. in the summer. Right. Poor, <laughs> right. poor Mr. Beish with, with her Atsu collection. Wonderful stuff. All silk. Trying to press and it being so hot that like you couldn't touch it again because you'd re-wrinkle it because the silk never cooled down enough to dry unwrinkled. Oh. It was just a, it was a bleeding nightmare. Ugh. I'm Yuck. trying to say fuck us today, by the way. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's hard. <laughs> so, so words like bleeding and blipping and fluffing might come in because I'm oh, trying rack up, rack up. to stop swearing like a fluffing idiot. Okay. So I guess, that, well, uh, do we have anything else? I mean, that's, that's kind of I do have a question call. for you. Um, and it kind of is interesting that um, I just started recording and you didn't know. But my, um, my call question for you today is what part of fashion and pride has been most influential to you? Oh goodness, that's a. I'm it's not really a complex, right? I'm not a. I'm not a good gay. I'm not a good gay. I, I don't like the rainbow flag. I never have. I'm an old punk. I'm. I'm a punk with goth leanings. My gay pride flag is is a is a big black flag with a silver sequined rhinestone middle finger sticking up on it. Shades of gray. Shades of gray. <laughs> you know, I just I'm just saying. Um, but I I have made some beautiful I I I have I have made some beautiful things for um, performers to wear at. Um, at pride um i have i still have some really cool sequins that are rainbows little tiny rainbow six millimeter over 10 millimeter gold and silver uh that i've never made anything out of because that performer didn't end up having the money um i i i i don't i think that the whole fight for the human rights being part of act up being part of um queer nation being part of so many political groups which is really the essence of pride stonewall was a fucking riot it was a riot perpetuated by several black drag queens now we we might uh say that they were transsexual women we didn't have that term then they identified as women or drag queens um so the idea that pride is is you know just all rainbows and fluff never appealed to me and i think that having been involved in the fight for gay rights the fight for women's rights the fight for racial equality is is the part of pride that informed me and and maybe why everything seems to be some version of armor that somebody can fight in even even the rose dress in its own way was armor so i i think that 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 is the part of pride um, uh, the fight, the fight, the fight and the struggle um, 
to to be seen as equal the fight and the struggle to not have what i do in my bed be illegal and um uh the fight to be respected the eventual fight and and the win of of um gay marriage which was something i wasn't really um horribly concerned about i didn't like the legislation that overturned it in places like california uh and, and we did lobby we went uh, coast to coast and worked on those issues uh, i didn't understand why gay marriage was important until the day it became legal for me and something washed over me and i realized i was now equal to everyone and uh, I would have said that 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 uh, hate crime legislation was more important. I would have said that housing safety was more important. I would have said that job security was more important. But in the end, I guess when when they see us as humans that are allowed to get married, maybe the rest are somehow easier to achieve. Although we're a long way, we're a long way. And uh, after, after, like I said, after the GOP is done going after your body parts, they're going to come after our rights. We, we are next on that list. So I, I think that that is the part of pride that has always informed me. Is it's, it's a fight. It's a fight to the death. And um, being cowed back into closets, this is what this, this bullshit in Idaho was about. Mm -hmm. This was to scare people back into closets. They would like to make America great again, which apparently means make America straight again. And I'm not going to go. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go gently into the night. I'm not going to go back into a closet. And if they shoot me for it, I guess they shoot me for it. Not the first time I've been shot at. Probably won't be the last. Well, and I think that, I think that perhaps in the very beginning, like the metaphor for the use of the rainbow was like, you know, we're all standing under it. You know, it's visible to us. You know, it's like this inclusive thing, right? That everybody experiences, but, and this is not going to be a very popular opinion, but to make it more consumable to have other people help them, it was turned a little bit more garish um in, as a like um a cell you know like a happy happy celebration and i think you know it's similar in its reverence because of the origins of pride to like veterans day right you know these are the right. people that that gave an inordinate amount of their living life and their um, social activism to make things better for people who just don't quite understand exactly how good they have it. Maybe, maybe, maybe a, some, maybe I, not all of them, you know. <laughs> I have a great uh, pride fashion connection story. When I lived in San Francisco, there was a, a basement fabric supply room on Mission Street that had decent fabric. I, I, I would find something there much better than I would have found at a, at a Hancock or a Joanne. Um, there were a few good places in, in uh, San Francisco to buy fabric, all jobbers. Uh, and one afternoon I was reaching, I was getting ready to uh, make my gay pride ensemble, my first San Francisco gay pride. I did an outfit and a wig in every single color and changed hourly for eight hours. Every hour I would go back into my building and change. Boom, boom. Um, 
And so I was reaching for the perfect turquoise to make myself an evening jacket out of. And another man was reaching for the turquoise at the same time. And I looked at him and I said, uh, what are you going to use it for? He says, well, I'm, I'm trying to add the fuchsia and the turquoise back to the gay pride flag. I said, oh, do you get to do that? And he said, well, my name's Gilbert Baker. I designed and made the first gay pride flag and it had uh, turquoise and fuchsia. And they've taken those off um, to make it more palatable. And I want to put those colors back on. And one was for, uh, I believe, turquoise, maybe for magic, and fuchsia for actual bucking. And he thought that they had sanitized it a bit much. So I told him that he had the much better use for the fabric, that he should take it. And he and I had coffee on several occasions. And he would tell me that that he wished that he could design like I did, that I, I had the fantasy career that he always wanted. And I said, but darling, you've changed the world. While I'm not a fan of the rainbow flag because I'm not a big, uh, you know, hippy-dippy color person, I, I'm not definitely not following the Grateful Dead anywhere. Um, you have given symbol to an entire three generations now who, who, who wrap themselves in, in what that flag means. So I, I think that when it's all said and done, um, you will have had a bigger impact on the world than any of my little pretty dresses ever could have. And Gilbert, uh, Gilbert Baker, he died a couple of days after my birthday in uh, 2017, I think. Um, just an amazing man, and and I was so fortunate to have met him. So uh, it still didn't make me make rainbow colored things. Although I guess my first San Francisco Gay Pride, I was the rainbow. Uh, I I recently had a friend send me pictures they took of that day, and it was quite joyful. I I had come from New Orleans to to uh, San Francisco, so I was expecting pomp and circumstance, and we got a lot of uh, self congratulate. It was a boring. It was I should have gone to West Hollywood, uh, uh, San Francisco. Francisco. I mean, it was beautiful. Like, you know, the fact that there were like a thousand gay cops and a thousand gay fire people and the bikes on bikes on bikes. And um, I, I mean, it, it was powerful, but it was not as fabulous. I didn't love being the most fabulous thing there. And, and Melissa Etheridge might disagree because she was pretty fucking fabulous that day, too. <laughs> but that's my that's there. There that's we go. Fair. There is my my gay pride attached to fashion story. Thank you for listening today to Advanced Fashion Disruption. We're a little bit delayed on this Tuesday episode, releasing it on Wednesday, but we'd like you to always join us at advancedfashiondisruption.com to see every single episode that we are releasing and find out what's new on the fashion horizon, either in podcast form or in project links um, to just amazing people and other projects that we love. So poke around on our website, and thanks for listening.